welcome to another episode of the Diversity Gap Podcast. My name is Bethany Wilkinson, and I am your host. I am the founder of the Diversity Gap, the coaching and facilitation practice. I'm also author of the Diversity Gap, where good intentions meet true cultural change. And I am a facilitator. I'm a coach. I am a DEI practitioner, and I really love being able to support organizations as they seek to embody their values for racial justice. Now, today's conversation is super special because it's my last one. This is a series finale for the Diversity Gap podcast, which is really bizarre to say, um, but also really liberating because this change has been coming for a long time and I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want to make this shift or not. And after some deliberation, reflection, talking to people that I love, I concluded that good things can end. Good things have sunsets. And um, and for me, it's time. It's time. As some of you may know, The Diversity Gap was launched as a podcast about three years ago. And at the time, I was working in a nonprofit organization. And I was really informally doing research on the gap between organizations' good intentions for diversity and the impact of those intentions. And so just in my life, as I talked to different nonprofit leaders and um, social enterprise founders, I would want to understand their value for this effort. And they would say, you know, we, we care about diversity, we value racial justice, and there would be really beautiful intentions and, and language given to this value. But then I would talk to members on those teams, especially leaders of color and really specifically women of color in these organizations, and they would be having pretty negative experiences, experiences of um, powerlessness, of disrespect, of um, of gatekeeping, imposter syndrome, just really negative experiences. And so I wanted to understand this gap. How do we have organizations where the leadership says, hey, we value this, we have this intention for having a diverse organization. But then when I talk to people who are experiencing that, experiencing the organization, the impact wasn't so great. And so the Diversity Gap podcast launched three years ago to explore this gap. And it has been such an amazing ride. I've had the best guests, the best conversations, the most amazing audience. Um, The podcast launched before the racial reckoning of 2020. It came into the world before the COVID-19 pandemic. And so it really was a different world in so many ways. And it's been a real treat to grow as a um, as a thinker, as a podcaster, as an author and creative over the course of the past three years. And I've heard from so many of you listeners just the impact that this podcast has had on you in your lives and in your organizations. And those emails that I get just you know, it it's really, it's even hard to give language to how meaningful it is to know that the conversations I've been having here in my community to see how they have touched people all over the world. Um, at this point, the Diversity Gap podcast has been downloaded nearly 300,000 times worldwide, which is just so much more than I ever expected for this show. And so if you have been a faithful listener, um, if you have been here for the past few years, I just want to say thank you for your active support and engagement as I have tried new things and shifted. And um, and as I've grown and matured, I feel like this community has really been uh, just a really great and generous space for me to 
do work that I know and believe is really important. And it, again, means the world to me that it's found resonance um, in your organizations and in your companies and in your families and in your churches. It just, it's amazing. So this is the series finale, and I thought it would be really, really fun to bring back the voice from the very first episode that I ever did. Um, One of my best friends in the world, her name is Kayla. Um, She interviewed me for the first episode ever of The Diversity Gap. Now, if you are looking for the episodes from the first two seasons, because they're not on the main feed, you would have to go back to um, thediversitygap.com backslash podcast and scroll through the archive to find this episode. And so it was from August 2019. And Kayla interviewed me at about my hopes and fears for this project and all the things that I was dreaming about as it related to the diversity gap. And so I thought it would be super fun to bring her back. Um, She interviewed me. I talked to her. We laughed a lot um, about some of my favorite episodes, her favorite episodes, and what we hope Um, what we hope for this audience going into the future. So without further ado, thank you so much for being here. Listen to this final episode with one of my best friends, Kayla Stagnero. Hi, Kayla. Hello. It's good to be back. Oh my gosh. It's been a while. Yeah. Has it really been four years? Since you started this whole thing? Is it three? August 2019. So maybe it's three full years. Okay. Three full years. Mm -hmm. But longer. Amazing. Yeah. That I've been thinking about it, you know? Oh yeah. Totally. Even the diversity. Thinking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So cool. Three years. Okay. So why are we here today? (laughs) Well, because (laughs) sometimes you got to land the plane. (laughs) Okay. Even on a good thing. Yeah. Well, it's been a really good run. I feel like the diversity gap podcast, because I'm not, you know, done with the diversity gap. It's my coaching and facilitation practice and like still, you know, creating content and working with teams, but the podcast portion, um, on the one hand, it's been amazing. Like so many incredible guests, so many incredible listeners, like around the globe, which is just the most bizarre for people to be like, this podcast was used in my team's thing in France. And it's like, what? Like, what? (laughs) That's so wild. That's amazing. Um, But then also over the last three years, I've changed a lot and I've changed the ways that I want to show up to this work and the kinds of spaces I want to facilitate conversations in. And I'm only one woman. And so um, I don't know, it feels good to land the plane on something that I'm so proud of. And yeah, to just move on to different things. Will the diversity podcast still like live in the interwebs? Oh yeah, for sure. All of the former episodes will still live on the diversitygap.com. And I don't foresee taking down like the thread anytime soon, like maybe one day, um, but it'll still be there for people who, who want it. It's there. It's still there for you. Good. Yeah. It's such a great resource. Like you said, like even just, I know there's been a couple of times when I've pointed somebody to a specific episode and been like, Hey, we talked about this, check this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll be a, continue to be a great re- resource, whether there's new information or not. Yeah, I think so. And I still refer episodes to clients and things to like, Oh, this expert would really be able to help you think through that. Or this perspective might give you new language for your conversation. So yeah, I'm happy that 
I mean, that's one of the gifts of the internet, right? Like it can just kind of exist until I don't know the world ends. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, tell us maybe a couple learnings from the past few years. Wow. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that podcasting is not for the faint of heart. And, Mm. and by that, I just mean like the operations of it. Like you think, oh, we're just going to set up some mics and talk to people, which you do like, that's part of it. But you know, this Kayla, like with your team's podcast history, it's like, it's so much more than that. It's the production, it's the storytelling, it's, um, it's the promotion of whatever it is that you're talking about. And so very practically, just getting multiple calendars to line up is like probably one of the hardest parts. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so really practically that's been a big learning, but I, I think I would also, I've also learned just, I don't know how broad and nuanced our engagement with these topics has to be just because the world is so big. And I, I know that might be really lofty, but I had a friend, um, who is, who lives in Australia right now. And she's doing some work with her team around white supremacy culture specifically. And the way that phrase, that idea lands in Australia is completely different than the way it lands where I am in Georgia. And so even though we're using similar words, like we are present to different histories and different contexts. And so one of the gifts of this podcast over the last few years has been able to has been being able to talk to people in so many different places and finding like the through lines that are consistent, especially when we think about power and identity and change, but then also realizing like, oh, this person who leads a church is thinking about this differently than this person who leads a corporation or this person who leads a national nonprofit or this person who leads just their small consulting studio, you know, like it's all, it's all different and it's, um, And I think that's what the work requires because we're in such different places, you know? I love that because I think when you first kind of dreamed up this idea and this like podcast came to life, I don't think you were thinking about that, like the impact, like global impact versus, you know, a little more localized, you know, Southeast, maybe, you know, California, somewhere up North. Um, so it's cool to see how that idea, like literally is being like creating impact across the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's fair for, I mean, in many ways, like the diversity gap was born of very personal things that I was navigating, like personal challenges that I'd lived challenges I learned from like talking to my friends and their communities. Um, and so I think it makes sense that in its original, you know, iterations, I was mostly thinking about me and where I'm at and the people that I know. Um, but I also love that when we do zoom out a good bit, seeing how people across the globe and even just across a nation are interacting with these ideas, it makes all of our thinking sharper. Like it makes us all better when we're like, Oh, that is interesting that it lands differently in Australia than here. What does that mean about the nature of this problem? And, how do I understand that while still focusing on the local solutions I can actually advocate for in my real life? I, I guess that feels important to me because one of the other big pieces of this over the last couple of years has been seeing how what ha- did feel like a personal problem became like this was like this national 
worldwide movement for change. And then seeing all of the ways, like things that I thought just me and my friends talked about have become like mainstream, if that makes sense. Like, uh, and so I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit now, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's one thing to understand the problem. It's another thing to apply local solutions, but it's not an either, or we have to do both of those things in order to bring the best solutions to bear. That's good. Any other learnings you want to share about? Ooh, I mean, I've learned a lot about myself. Not that I need to, you know, belabor this with the, with the diversity gap podcast listeners, but I mean, I've, I feel like I've grown up over the course of the last few years and doing this work. I've learned what kind of work is like that matches me as a person and what kind doesn't like, Oh, I'm not a strategist. I'm more of a facilitator. Oh, I'm not like an activist, but I do like having conversations. Like I've, I've just learned a lot about who I am and how I show up to not only diversity related work, but to the world as a creative human. And that's been selfishly one of the biggest gifts this process has offered me. That's good. I mean, I definitely relate to that. Like many years ago when I was running a business, it was like, I don't see it as like a failure or an end. It's like what I learned about myself was the most helpful and most impactful going forward Mm. about the journey, right? Yeah. It's cliche as it is. (laughs) It's so true. I mean, I don't think good things have to last forever. Yeah. You know, it's Mm -hmm. good. Yes. Okay. So what have been some of your most memorable episodes? I have a couple. Oh, I can't wait to hear yours. Um, the first one that came to mind is Dr. Darnisa Amante Jackson. I've listened back to that episode multiple times. Um, That's she, true. I know Jeff and I have referenced it at Plywood to so many different organizations. Yeah, it is just so good. <laughs> and she is just so wise. Um, and the way she broke down how long it takes organizations to really change, like that eight to 10 year window i just think especially in like the heat of a crisis moment where you're realizing like oh here are all the ways our organization's falling short and all of the things we want to do to improve it it's so helpful to have someone smart and who knows this stuff to say whoa 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 let's slow down we need like a 10 to 15 year runway here and that's me making it even longer than what she said but like we need a long runway here to make a difference which for some won't feel fast enough um and for others will be too fast actually, but reality is like, let's slow this thing down a little bit and get really clear about who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. So that one was one of my favorites. Really good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, I mean, there's so many, I think of my conversation with Dr. Jerome Leba, um, and how neuro or how our neurology affects how we show up to communities and how we navigate difference. That was super interesting, like a really unique take on the problem. Um, yeah. gosh. Oh, and then Stephanie ghost and Paul, that was like therapy for me. She's, um, a coach mm. at cultivated sense. And we just talk a lot about like who we are as people and how black women have choices. And that was a really liberating conversation for me specifically. So I remember that one too. Good. I love that. Okay. Mine are actually different. Um, okay. So one of the first ones, I remember you texted me on both of those and you were like, guess who I got confirmed. And one of them was, um, Echo Bethia. (gasps) And 
so good. She talked about this idea of um, values and behavior, how we might have the same values, but how we act on that, how our, how we behave might be completely different and really talks about like how to have those conversations about how showing up differently and embodying that same value. Um, I just thought it was so interesting and like refreshing and helpful, especially like, you know, trying to look at it through the lens of optimism. Yeah, um, yeah I love that. And then you also introduced me when we worked together to um, Sarah from Pantsuit Politics. And yeah, that one you texted me or like, yes, but, um, and there was, this one thing they talked about that I keep thinking about, but I think they got it from somebody else. So please go listen to this, this episode um, with Pantsuit Politics. But they talk about this idea of somebody saying, hey, here's what you missed. And in you know a situation, a conversation, in a marketing strategy, here's what you missed. But reframing your thinking to be like, okay, this is what we're adding moving forward. Here's the addition. And I loved that. It's just getting to these really hard conversations with an attitude and mindset of learning and mm-hmm. continuing to move forward. Because if it does take eight to 10 years, you can't get defeated every time there's pushback or you make a mistake. You gotta keep going. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I learned so much from Sarah and Beth. I was so nervous. <laughs> I think I even said that in, in the intro to that episode. I'm like, people, I'm interviewing two of like they're internet celebrities to me. Um, so I need to go back and re-listen to that one because I think I was so starstruck that I probably wasn't as focused as I <laughs> as I would. It normally. was a really good conversation. And I think it was a different conversation for them too. It was like, you know, parallel to the work they do, but um, cool to just hear them in a different, different format. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any others that stuck out to you? Um, Those were my two kind of, I don't know, favorites that I keep like referring back to. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Oh, it's, it feels funny trying to pick a favorite or favorites because I'm sure that there are so many points from ones that I'm missing. I think of David Bailey's episode. I learned a lot from him. And then even my book launch podcast series, like those were some really rich conversations too. Just, man, yeah, so many good people. All right, well, let's transition a bit. Tell us about what are you thinking about, dreaming about, what's next? Mm. What's next? Good question. Um, Part of me is like, well, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is, working with teams and organizations. Um, one of my favorite things in life right now is this thing that I do call the growth collective. And it's like this cohort of nine DEI practitioners from across the world. And we meet every few weeks, like this morning we had a session and I'm just obsessed with them. They are so sharp, creative, interesting, so deeply committed to the work of transformation in their different contexts. And that is so life-giving. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't have as much space to host conversations is because I want to be more present to support leaders who are doing this work in their own places. Um, So I'm thinking a lot about that, but I'm also thinking a lot about race-conscious leadership, which is kind of how I've 
started, and those who are listening to this episode of the podcast will have heard me talk about this before, but really um, for myself and then for the teams that I work with, shifting the conversation from how do we fix everything overnight to how do we honor and acknowledge our differences and move forward with an ever evolving awareness of what's happening. And that might sound kind of woo woo. And again, not intense enough for some people, but, um, I've been having lots of conversations lately with just elders in my life and, and realizing that some of these issues are not going anywhere, but we can show up to them with more awareness, with more humility, um, with more curiosity. And in some ways that makes our efforts for change a bit more sustainable. So I'm just thinking a lot more about like the whole person and how do we sustain our engagement in the world without burning out and without having our advocacy be tied to what's happening in the headlines and to like moments of crisis and stress. Like what does it mean to be conscious of race, to be aware of power dynamics, to not be limited by it, but to just bring that awareness to everything that we do as leaders. So that's something I'm thinking about. Um, I don't fully know if and how those thoughts are going to be fleshed out more going in the future. I, again, really am loving my work in organizations and with people. And that's really, I mean, that's just the best thing. Like in some ways I am a little bit burned out on the internet, even though I love it. And so it's really, um, it's really nice to be able to flesh out these ideas in the context of real relationships. Yeah. I love that. It's just even what you said about how to, how to find ways to, live out like this race conscious leadership and not just be tied up in the news cycle. I, that, uh, I totally relate to that. And I think that's really interesting. And that's, that's gotta be the way to move forward because keeping up with the news cycle is not sustainable. No. (laughs) And reacting in that way. (laughs) It's not. And I'm also realizing, and this is just like a more broad personal life reflection. Cause I mean, you know, this, my life has changed a lot over the last few years. Like I went from working and being deeply involved in an organization with friends to working by myself. Primarily, I went from living in the city to living out in this farm and in this farming community. And so even that shift of seeing like, okay, some of these ideas and frameworks are very like urban, you know, which is awesome. Um, and how do they translate here now that, now that I'm in literally cattle country in central Georgia. Like, does someone really need my framework? No, you know, there are other race related issues, but how do I move it from being like an academic exercise to being like really invested in building community in the place that I live? And so I think that's another big part of the shift for me, like moving from, yeah, moving from the heady stuff that feels cool and important because it is to like, okay, what's my real life look like? And how does this serve my actual neighbors? Oh, I like that. It's really, really inspiring. Um, yeah, I think that's one thing we learned too. It's like when you can be in community to like with the people you like work and live near there, I feel like it's way easy is not the right word, but it's, I guess, easier to notice real and lasting change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and check back with me in a few years. This might, you know, sure. like, yeah. it's like, well, does Bethany still think that? Who knows? <laughs> um, I yeah. might be in the city again, you know, doing a different thing, but, um, but that's where I'm at today. It's good. I like that. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you hope for this audience? The diversity um, gap listeners. 
Oh, I just hope for all the best things. <laughs> I wish, I wish you all could see me. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. I love you. <laughs> um, but I really do like just this audience is amazing. And I, I know that we do see news cycles and it can feel like the world is ending, but there are so, and I've said this on the show before, there are so many humans who are showing up every single day and bringing their best to their families, to their workplaces, to their churches, to their nonprofits, to their community spaces. And so while it can feel like, oh my gosh, it's a dumpster fire, I know for a fact, because I interact with this audience, you know, when they email me and seeing people share things online, it's like, these people are out here doing the work, doing the self-reflection, speaking up, saying, I'm sorry, trying again, building new strategies. Like we're out here doing the work. And so I hope for this audience that they stay inspired and encouraged and and creative and that they take breaks, you know, as needed to sustain. And, and I hope that the audience isn't afraid to innovate and not afraid to change. And, um, yeah, I just want all the best things for the people who listen to this show. That's good. Y'all hear that? Rewind it back and listen again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So, well, I'm not sure if this is the last question you can tell me, but, um, how can people stay connected? Where can they find you? Can they join the next growth collective? What are, what are the details? Yeah. I mean, the best way to stay connected is to go to the diversitygap.com and to join the newsletter. Um, I don't send out a lot of emails I'll do in certain seasons. Um, I'm more of a emailer in the spring, early summer. (laughs) And so if you're wanting someone who only shows up every so often, uh, for better or for worse, that's me. But, um, the newsletter is like the best way and then social media. But again, I'm not even on Instagram that much. And so, uh, www.thediversitygap.com. And then there should be a pop-up if you haven't signed up already, or you can scroll down to the bottom of the page and you can add your email there, but that's the best way. And then the next growth collective launches in January. And so if you are a DEI practitioner, whether it is like your official formal title or not, um, because I know that there are a lot of people who are leading DEI, even though it's not like their official title, whichever category you fall in, um, this is a four month cohort for practitioners. And it's, uh, super life-giving. That's what I've gathered from this group. It's super life-giving. We're even, I mean, the group that I'm currently leading, there's rumbles about us meeting in person next spring, like to have a retreat because we've so loved getting to know each other and doing this work together. And so if you're looking for that kind of community support, um, this space is awesome. So you can join us in January and all of that information is on the website as well. Awesome. All right. Anything else? Any parting words? No, I don't think so. I appreciate you, Kayla, jumping in and being here from the beginning. Of course. Um, so it's just a huge gift Always. to to be in this conversation with you. And um, originally I was like, oh, I'll just record something by myself. And then I was like, no, that's lame. Let me talk to my friend. Um, so Love thank it. you. Yeah. And thanks to the audience. You all have been amazing. And I'm so thankful for you. Yeah.